HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by craftbeer.com, dedicated to small and independent U.S. craft brewers. For more information, visit craftbeer.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, and welcome to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Lynn Yi Ryan of thisismold.com better known just as Mold, and soon to be known as Mold Magazine. And we'll get into that in a second, but I, I kind of want to establish who you are, what you've done, and how a Texan Chinese girl became obsessed with the design of food. Thanks so much for having me on your program, Michael. It's like such a joy to finally get to meet you face-to-face and um, have this conversation with you. So thanks for inviting me today. Oh, absolutely. I've long been a fan of This Is Mold, um, having worked with the Food Book Fair for years. Our, our founder, Elizabeth Thacker-Jones, also kind of worked at the intersections of food design. And we've had a couple other great food designers on there, uh, Emily Baltz. But can, can, let's, first design, let, let's first define what food design is. That's a really great question. And it's actually something that even practitioners are still kind of arguing about. But the way that I describe and define food design is using food as a material for designing objects and also designing experiences around food. Let's, let's try to pull some examples from everyday life. What, what are some of the most common examples of food design? Well, probably the most simple thing is really eating utensils um, and tableware and cups. So imagine that somebody at some point in history and during time had to decide what the shape and feel and weight and length of our forks and knives and spoons are supposed to be. Um, how do those objects actually interact with our bodies and our mouths as we feed one another and feed ourselves? Um, these are all really interesting questions that kind of start at uh, start with food design. Um, the other piece is really, you know, you think about food packaging. Um, designers actually and, and material scientists actually help decide 
how our food is packaged and delivered to us, how it actually keeps our food fresher for longer, if it keeps our food fresher for longer, how it sits on the shelf. Um, those are pretty standard food design questions. But also, you know, anytime you go out to a restaurant and an interior decisions made are made by designers about, you know, the height of the table, the materials that are being made, the type of lighting that's being used, um, the sound in the space, all of those decisions are also made by designers. So those are like some pretty straightforward everyday things that we interact with as consumers that have been shaped by designers. I always think of it from an architectural scope mm -hmm. and uh, using Marshall McLuhan and his quote, the, the meeting is the message. It, it's almost about how we interpret and interact with these things. And it's less so about what the material actually is. Sometimes. And I think that, you know, for a long time, design as a practice has been kind of pigeonholed into this um, styling uh, experiment of like, oh, you know, the designer just chooses the color of the wall or uh, the designer chooses the material of the, sh of the seat you're sitting on. But what I'm arguing with mold is that designers actually have a much larger role to play in the conversation we have around food. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think people who do hospitality and design and interior design are definitely part of this conversation and are important um, members of this community. But I do think that designers as uh people who are trained to solve problems, well, A, to define problems, and then B, to solve problems, can really make a huge difference in how and what we eat in the near future. Do you remember the tableware when you were young and how you interacted with it? Were you, at a young age, someone who flipped over to see who made it and what <laughs> brand it was? No, but as somebody who is now in her 30s, I definitely do that at... Um, Restaurants. I'm always interested in like who's manufacturing tableware. And actually, one of the first times I had an experience with um, just uh, kind of being in awe of the tableware experience was actually this is going to sound really fancy, but it's at Le Bernardin. Um, I had a, a so this actually kind of tells a little bit about my origin story. Um, I am a partner in a Texas style barbecue business here in New York and it's called Lone Star Empire and we launched um, seven years ago um, at Trophy Bar here in Brooklyn but then moved on to be a regular at the Brooklyn Flea and Smorgasburg and after our first season which was a great success uh, my partners and I we treated ourselves at, to a very fancy dinner at La Bernadette and I think this was my first time ever really eating in such a rarefied uh, dining, ex having such a rarefied dining experience. And I was so struck by how beautiful the um, plates and the serving ware was. Like everything was so considered and it looked like the ocean and it had the shape of like uh, seafood. It just was so um, elegant and thoughtful without being, um, you know, corny. And I was just really like, impressed by that experience and so I just totally was like looked googled the next day like who designed the tableware at Le Bernadette and um, that was kind of my beginning of an obsession with this kind of um, very thoughtful dining experience well I think from both your backgrounds being Chinese and barbecue they're two distinct kind of avenues to go down um, Chinese food Obviously, there's a lot of that in New York, but the expectation to eat with chopsticks. Sure. And then barbecue, you know, the, the way it's served and presented, 
often on a sheet tray with like that brown butcher paper with these no days. tableware no so <laughs> so are these conventions you're trying to change through design or do you think they necessitate the kind of cuisine that you know we eat with them sure i think every cuisine starts with culture um every design um uh, every designed thing product experience object should always start with culture that's all everything that we designers produce should be human centered it should consider who is actually using these things and i think that um you know for example chopsticks is a really straightforward example um we don't use chopsticks on plates because chopsticks are kind of like this multifunctional tool that you use to shovel food into your mouth out of a bowl um you also use it to delicately like you know pick up things off a shared communal plates so it makes sense for the cuisine but it comes from a specific culture of like sharing food of um food preparation being um done in a specific way um all these things are really interesting barbecue um also has a really specific cultural history especially in texas where barbecue actually came out of um german meat purveyors and they were making they made barbecue to feed these migrant farm workers that were moving across texas and would would go through central texas and so what's the easiest way of feeding like you know hundreds of like men who are doing manual labor well you just smoke a lot of meat and um you can feed a lot of people that way you know and that that example kind of necessitates this next point 2030 why is that an important year uh as defined by united nations sure so um when I started Mold in 2013, um, I was really just interested in creating an editorial platform that would be able to discuss these really interesting food design projects um, that I was seeing at fairs and within academic programs. Um, designers were really engaging with questions around food. And I wanted to create a platform to highlight these projects in a kind of critical and a critical way, in a way that really respected the design process. Um, and then I found, and then I was doing research and kind of, you know, highlighting interesting projects. And I came across this uh, report by the United Nations that basically said that by the year 2030, if we continue eating the way that we do and our population continues growing at the rate it is, we actually won't be able to produce enough food to feed everyone. And that is a really terrifying thing. Um, obviously, people go hungry every day um, in the United States, here in New York, around the world. But we actually, as a global community, create we actually make enough food to feed everyone. Um, the problem is that we waste. A third of it is lost through food waste. Um, that's like transportation. Um, just the fact that as Americans, oftentimes we don't eat the ugly produce, for example. Um, you know, we just have a kind of waste culture here. Um, that's part of the problem. We also eat a lot of meat. Like we don't need to eat as much meat that we as as we actually consume per person in the United States. That's a huge thing. And actually, uh, you know, farming meat, um, t- like industrial farming of meat. Let me just clarify. Uh, takes up a lot of resources in raising animals, as well as um, puts out a lot of uh, environmental pollutants into the air. Um, you know, all of these things are things that um, we as consumers, but we as designers also have the power to help shape and, re- and, and engage in conversations to think about how do we create a more sustainable food system that actually will be able to feed everyone. 
I think when you said that designers not only define what the problems are, but answer those problems, mm-hmm. so it's a really important point of what mold does. Yeah. Um, it's not just about, you know, showing us the new spork or, or, you know, interesting think pieces that are art pieces, yeah. but engaging people in the, in the fact that the, these are necessities for us to sustain ourselves as, as people. Absolutely. Um, one really interesting convention is that you, you had this kind of pop-up cafe called mm-hmm. Offsite. Yeah. Uh, where was it? At the, some design show. Yeah. So um, during New York Design Week, which happens in May every year, um, a number of kind of um, there's the, the central show happens at the Javits Center. And then there's a number of organizations that self-organize um, other interesting shows. And so um, one of my favorite websites, Sight and Scene, organizes an annual show called Offsite. And we were invited to do the cafe that year. And this was in 2014, sorry, yeah, 2014 of May. Um, And we ended up doing a future food cafe, an exhibition about what the future food might look like. Um, So the future food food cafe pop-up was really fun because at that point we were highlighting um, entomophagy, which is eating insects. So we, uh, you know, partnered with amazing brands like Exo Cricket Protein Bars and um, at the time there was a, there, uh, well, now it's a, a company called Aketa based in Austin that actually, um, uses USDA approved organic meal to feed crickets and then harvest crickets. Um, so we were doing cricket summer rolls as well as more conventional summer rolls. Um, and also, uh, serving chia pudding and chia pods, which at the time was still a kind of new idea to think of, uh, these kind of ancient, ancient seeds as um, a source of sustained energy and protein um, using, you know, no sugar, gluten-free uh, products. What was also interesting is the Ento box, which was an introduction to edible insects to yeah. the Western diet. And it really is about thinking globally because shifts in this country can affect, you have this ripple effect throughout the world and, and you know, likewise. Um, so it's about thinking about not just local, sustainable, but global, sustainable. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing about food as culture, it's a real thing. I mean, people around the world might have access to things like soda and, you know, fast food now. But the reality is that the way that we eat at home continues to be pretty much like there's, there's still a line that draws from like, um, you know, ancient ways of preparing and eating food that is relatively unbroken when you think about home cooking. Um, so I don't, even though, you know, for example, my family is from originally from Taiwan and China, even though, you know, there's obviously lots of fast food options there and you can get McDonald's and KFC pretty readily, um, at home, we're still going to be eating rice of some sort. Um, we'll probably still be eating, you know, some sort of, you, you, you know, using ingredients that are a certain kind of flavor profile. Um, and I think that that's, those things are really important to recognize. And also as we think about our global foods, global food security, thinking about how do we take lessons from different cultures of eating and actually translate them into a contemporary context that can actually help feed everybody. I think one of the greatest commentaries I've seen on mold is the Chris Godfrey all in one piece. And it is a 12 course meal featuring organic and locally sourced ingredients. 
that are heavily processed and then packaged back into a single can, yep. layer by layer. Totally. <laughs> and on that, we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Do you love craft beer, the diversity of styles and flavors, the stories of small brewery businesses and the communities behind today's craft beer movement? If so, you'll love craftbeer.com, published by the Brewers Association. Whether you tasted your first craft beer 30 years ago or just caught the bug last week, craftbeer.com is the number one destination for beer education, news, and recipes. Looking for a local brewery? Use the Internet's most robust brewery finder to discover your new favorite place. Want to get geeky about your favorite beer style or find the perfect pairing for dinner? Craftbeer.com is the leading authority and can help. Celebrate the best of American beer. Visit craftbeer.com today. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harling Turkel, here with Lynn Yi Ryan of This Is Mold. And we're going to talk a little bit about transitioning from the online world into publications, hoping that Mold Magazine will soon fully be funded on Kickstarter. We're, what, one week away, or not even that, and $10,000 short at the moment. Exactly. We have eight days to raise $10,000, and anybody who's interested in the future of food and food culture as a whole, you can check it out on bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, backslash mold mag. There it is. There are 400 published or more articles on thisismold.com. So if, if you need a kind of entry point into what the publication can be, certainly start there. But wh- why is print so important? Why is this extension, you know, the next part of what mold is? Yeah, so I think that the first question you asked today is actually a good answer for this question. So I think that there's a lot of confusion around what food and design, what relationship food and design might have to play. And so, um, you know, we've published over the last three years, as you mentioned, over 400 articles on everything from packaging to agricultural systems, um, tableware, uh, new types of food. I mean, it's just, it's such a broad ranging topic. And I felt as somebody who has always been such a huge fan of print media and, um, you know, has collected magazines since I could afford to go to the store and actually buy a magazine for myself. Um, I've always just loved the power of magazines in the format as a, as, as a way of, you know, engaging with somebody and kind of giving someone an opportunity to sit down and have like a slow day and read, um, you know, deeply into a single subject. And so the way we're structuring mold magazine is actually each issue will be a deep dive into a single theme. And so the first issue is about designing for the human microbiome and what people who might be more used to traditional print media and food media, uh, might be surprised that we have a number of articles about poop in our first issue. And so, you know, um, from our perspective, you know, uh, food is, we should think about food in the full cycle. So it's not just, uh, 
what we're consuming on a plate, but it's also like how that affects our full, our entire body and our whole system. Um, the second issue is a little bit more, I guess, conventional in some ways, but it's about uh, designing for the table. So that's everything from tableware to furniture for di- for dining, um, and it's really going to be about food rituals around um, the table. So that's going to be the second issue, and the third issue will be about food waste, and we'll we'll continue from there. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about this microbial gut health. Sure, I- it's it's such. <laughs> an interesting topic right now and there's a piece of art i think posted on my website and we'll post it on uh thefoodscene.com as well and that's seen without a c s-e-n i can never figure out the inflection of that visual pun um but it is of the intestines made by bread correct so that was actually a student project that came out of the first food design program for undergraduates um, at Design Academy Eindhoven in the Netherlands. And so um, when that program launched, um, they presented an exhibition in Milan for the oldest and largest design fair in the world. And the exhibition was all about food design. And so what the students did were they were engaging with this idea about bread as a kind of starting as a living entity, whether, you know, with sourdough, um, living cultures, and then how would it affect intestinal health if you just survived on a, you know, bread alone for a number of weeks. And so they brought in a a food nutritionist, a scientist to kind of examine their gut health after all of this and used this baking of bread and the shape of an intestines as a way to engage people in the conversation about gut health. This is part of an article in issue Issue one one. called Eat Shit exactly uh, by Marjorie Vogelzang, who is, uh, what, the head of that uh, undergrad. It's Mariah Vogelzang, and she is uh, actually, she is a graduate of Design Academy, I know, and and is the head of that program, and she's brilliant. I mean, let's talk a little more poop. Yep. Because (laughs) I I don't get to do, I don't get to do it enough on this show, but, you know, uh, it it is the inevitable, um, you know, it's it's where food ends up. Well, we need it to grow food, too. That's actually something that we forget. And this is why um, when I'm I'm not, I eat meat. I have a meat business, a meat-centric business. Um, But, you know, we have to know, we have to understand that our food system is a eco, it's a delicate, fully functional system that has a lot, it's actually not, it's not that delicate. It actually can survive a lot, but we need all these different elements for us to produce food. And one of those elements is poop. And so we need animals to make poop to put nutrients back into the ground and use those things as fertilizer to grow produce. And so all of these things are kind of intertwined. And the reality I think is that um, there are certain types of phosphorus shortages that we need to kind of consider in the future that we will need healthy poop to like put back into the system um, to feed our plants. And so that's one thing. The other kind of thing about poop that I really like is um, as any probably Chinese or like immigrant kid can tell you like moms will always ask you about your poop and like (laughs) how did you poop today? And like, if you're sick, well, what did your poop look like? So the thing is, is that, you know, we have basically been flushing um, a data point or many data points down the sewer for years. And so what one of, one of the stories we're actually telling is about the design of um, toilet technology and how um, the toilets of the future can be a tool in this 
kind of trend of biometrics and like monitoring our bodies it'll be able to tell us if we need to eat more things like specific things or drink more water or maybe you know have a more acidic or base diet like whatever it might be but they'll it'll, you know these the toilets and all of these kind of ideas are at this is like something that's actually you know happening as we speak and it's it's something we can look forward to and we all thought the japanese toilets warm seat was an end all totally but again to the scatalog uh, another article about you know using fecal matter as a signifier for something wrong in our system. And like you had said before, um, usually you associate diarrhea with something wrong yeah. with your stomach, but you don't know anything past that. Yeah. Maybe it was something I ate, maybe you have a stomach yeah. flu. But in, in Scatalog, it's it's about taking probiotics that would dye your fecal matter a certain color to indicate an illness. Yeah, and this was a conceptual project that came out almost, I think, eight years ago. And, um, you know, this is another topic that we're tackling in the first issue. And again, something that might be unfamiliar to people who are used to more kind of conventional food publications. But we're, you know, diving into questions around synthetic biology, which means um, it's basically a nascent field of design. It's the idea is that you're designing with biology. And so um, these are products that are actually, you know, about to emerge onto the market now. But, you know, eight years ago, it was just like this kind of dream that this could possibly happen. I think that, you know, oftentimes people today talk about technology in a way that is, um, you know, about wires and screens and, um, you know, like plastic things. But the reality is that as we kind of engage with a more um, uh, robust, you know, we're kind of entering this really amazing age of like science and engineering and technology. And I really believe that Bio, bio, biological technology is actually what's what we have to look forward to in the future. And so when designers are actually engaging with designing with living objects or living things like bacteria or um, yeasts or whatever it might be, um, we have the power to actually shape uh, some of the things that are going on in our body like or you know address some of those things that are going on in our body. So things like lab-grown meat might be addressed in mold, farming on Mars, astronaut food, but also virtual reality dining. Sure. I think that, you know, we've seen this kind of trend in New York recently of these restaurants that are opening up that are catering to solo diners, which, you know, I'm a, personally, I love to have dinner by myself at the bar every once in a while. Um, but, you know, with things like augmented reality and virtual reality, um, there's definitely been projects that have address the idea of virtual reality like well maybe we can feed the future if we're not actually eating real food and if we're just like eating some sort of texture thing and then sense and visual things will will trick our minds into thinking it's real food well i don't necessarily believe in a future like that and in fact i don't I, I, I hope that our magazine will inspire designers to think beyond something like that, um, because I do think that food is one of the only things that we engage with that is completely multisensory, and um, it's the most fundamental thing is to eat. And so we, as designers and as people who are involved in the food movement, need to um, you know tap into our imaginations and really imagine um, the the best possible food future that we could think of and 
you know, how, but, and, and remember that humans are going to be at the center of this. Like, how do we continue uh, building with one another over food and building communities around food, building culture around food? Those things are always going to be critical to the conversation, and we just can't forget that. So if you want to hear this conversation and more, go to Kickstarter. Yeah. This is mold. Donate, because nothing's more important than something tangible, and I, I believe in print. So thank you as much as I love this is mold.com, which you can also explore the 400 plus articles. This extension just seems like uh, something worthy from, uh, you know, a theoretic and, and intelligent, you know, conversational point. But it, it's also a necessity for us to further how we interact and, and, you know, exist with food in today's world. So thank you so much for bring this to a head well thank you so much for having me it's been such a honor to be here and uh, yeah this is mold.com check it out excellent you've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel hope to have you back here next tuesday at three just a couple quick announcements uh we have a new series called books plus brews speaking of publishing and if you're not a heritage radio member yet you should become one because our first event is going to be april 12th at three's brewing at franklin and kenton greenpoint with host of eat your world's words kathy Irway and her book the food of taiwan so check that out today on our site a uh, big shout out to craftbeer.com for sponsoring music by cookies and as always david tattashore engineering cheers listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.